stakes week or sweeps weeks, she would feel the pressure of having to have exclusive interviews with certain people or events going on in Chicago or nationally. And the reason she felt so much pressure and why these stations put that pressure on journalists is that ratings would increase. And with ratings, guess what? More money for these networks. Now, whether it's national news or personal news, think about the things that we're excited to tell people about, right? It could be a new job. It could be a new home or a move that you're making. It could be a pregnancy or a marriage or an engagement. All these things that we're so excited to tell people about. But who we tell first matters, right? I, as a husband, have failed to love my wife at times because what I sometimes do is I forget. And if any of you know me, my mind is somewhat forgetful. And I'll forget to tell my wife some important news. And when we're with another couple or with another person, guess what happens for some odd reason? That couple will begin to tell my wife about what I should have told her first. And it's just like slow motion where I see that person start to utter these words, and I just want to go over there and shut their mouth up because I know I'm going to get in so much trouble when we go home. And she's right to be mad, right? Because... Who we tell first communicates importance and value. Here this morning, Jesus' birth and that announcement goes to the shepherds first. Why the shepherds? Why of all the people do the shepherds hear the news first? Many children's storybook Bibles, many sermons maybe you've heard, is that when you look at shepherds, what do we think of them? They're pastoral. They're endearing. They hold cute, cuddly sheep that they take care of, right? But I think far too often we sanitize and we romanticize and sentimentalize what shepherds were actually like. They weren't pastoral. They weren't endearing. Our children's Sunday school classes and books have it all wrong. Rather, shepherds were outcasts. They were ostracized by society. They lived this rugged, nomadic life. And because they lived this rugged, nomadic life, out in the field 24-7, day and night, guess what they smelled like? Guess what they looked like? They were grimy, dirty. They did not smell good. They killed other animals to protect their own sheep. And so what this meant for Israelite society, for the Jewish community, it meant that the shepherds were ceremoniously unclean. That's why they were ostracized. That's why they were outcasts in society. Because they were unclean, they could not enter into the temple and the synagogue to worship. They couldn't bring their offerings. And so these shepherds were not these devout Jewish Israelites who would go and offer worship. They were at the bottom of the totem pole, maybe with the exception of lepers. This is who the shepherds actually were. Think about David, right? Remember in 1 Samuel, in the series that we were uh, preaching through in the fall, Samuel the prophet comes to, da uh, to Jesse, David's dad, 
and says, bring out all your sons. And what happens? Jesse only brings seven of his oldest sons. And he doesn't bring out the eighth, the youngest, who's David, the shepherd. And we don't know why Jesse brought, didn't uh, bring out David. But at least at the bare minimum, we know that he was unimportant. He was not important enough to come and sit in that or stand in that line to be chosen as king. And here, this is what the shepherd's plight was. Their reputation preceded them wherever they went. They were thieves. They were liars. And so much so that when they went to court, if they actually offered testimony for whatever reason, their testimony was inadmissible in court. Why? Because everyone knew they were untrustworthy. Anything they said would not hold up. This was what the shepherds were like. You see, we like to romanticize and sentimentalize and sanitize the stories of Christmas like the shepherds here. But when you actually look through the eyes of a Middle Eastern man or a woman, when you hear it as an Israelite, that the gospel came to the shepherds first, that the birth of Jesus' announcement came to them first, that's offensive. That was ludicrous. That was unheard of. Why? Because who should receive this news? It would be the kings. It was the loyal, devout Israelites who worshipped day in and day out and kept the law and were ceremoniously clean. But why the shepherds? When they were ostracized and outcasts, why would they get it? Well, we have to look at another assumption that we make in this Christmas story. And it's this. Every single book that I looked up, including, including Sally Lloyd-Jones, and I love, her Jesus, I love the Jesus Storybook Bible, so I'm not going to bash it like John did last week. But even in her book, at least the illustrations, guess what the sign was for the shepherds in all the storytelling that we hear? It's this. What do you notice in all three pictures? It's a star. The star is what we assume is the sign for the shepherds so that they could follow the star and find Jesus born in the manger. But is that what happened? Nowhere in this passage that we've read is there, a, is there any mention of a star. In actuality, it happens about two years later when the wise men come to worship Jesus. And we're going to look at that next week. But there was no star. And yet we assume that the star of Bethlehem, some people call it, was there. But what was the sign? Look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What? That's their sign. That's their sign. Why? What is so significant about this being the sign for them? Well, Go to verses before, starting in verse 10, and what is the angel's announcement to the shepherds? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The angels use this word good news, but in the Greek it's just euangelion, and it was a common word, it's the gospel. And though we hear gospel in a certain way as people of faith, the gospel, the euangelion, good news, that was just a common term back then. It was good news, a gospel of a victory in war or in battle 
or of a baby being born in the palace of a king. That was the gospel. And here you have that gospel. A baby boy who is king is born. How does the angel describe him? He is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. In other words, this was the long-awaited Messiah from the line of David, that this king would reign and rule forever. This is the one that they've been waiting for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The long-awaited king from the line of David that would come and be able to finally reign and rule over all the oppression of Rome and any other country that would come and try to take them captive. This was that king that they've been waiting for. And the angel describes him as that this is Christ the Lord, God himself coming. And what would be that sign? It would be a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. What? I mean, does that make sense to you? The king of kings, the Lord of lords, God himself being born in a manger, in a feeding trough for animals. It makes no sense. Where's the star, that seems more royal. Where's the purple velvet that he would be wrapped in? Where's the crib made of gold and silver and encrusted with diamonds? This is too ordinary. This is boring. This seems so commonplace and actually a little jarring, right? A manger. This is the sign for the shepherds. We have to understand what signs and its purpose in the Old Testament was to really appreciate why this was a sign for the shepherds. Think about the signs in the Old Testament. Just to name a couple. Remember the Exodus? Israelites were in captivity for 400 years by Egypt. And Moses comes and he gives, the, he gives Pharaoh signs and wonders, these 10 plagues, blood in the water, Frogs everywhere, including their, their meals and in their beds. There was locusts flying everywhere. There was nights, day in and day out. And this showed what? Who God was. Think about circumcision that we just talked about here before the baptism. You have something so wonderful and miraculous and awe-inspiring like the ten plagues, but then you have a sign like circumcision? Like foreskin we're talking about here like so not so ordinary makes no sense why and yet what does it show it shows God's love and affection for his people it shows his promise to them so from the awe-inspiring signs to the most common signs what it did was it authenticated and it served to show and appoint who God was and who God is and the same thing is here with the sign of a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger. It was intended to prove and authenticate who Jesus was and to help these shepherds believe that this message was for them. Think about it. Who were the shepherds? They themselves knew who they were. They were despised. They were ridiculed. They were shamed for who they were. They knew exactly how their reputation preceded them. They knew how every single person in Israelite society viewed them. And here, what message do they get? That the God 
of creation has come down to earth. The king of kings is now here. They would never believe that this was for them. Uh, Gabriel, wrong house, right? I mean, you got the wrong number. You have the wrong address. There's no way this is for us. Yet the only way they would know that this was for them was a sign like this. That the king of kings would be born in a feeding trough for animals. But it would also authenticate who God was. It would authenticate who Jesus was. That Jesus lived a lowly life. Luke does a beautiful job of carrying this theme through his gospel. In chapter 9, he says, Foxes have dens, birds of the air have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. And then when he dies and he's buried, he is wrapped in fine linen and buried and laid rest in a tomb. This was Jesus' plight. This is the God of the heavens who created the world and this universe. This was his story. He lived a lowly life, born to a virgin Mary, betrothed to a Joseph, born in the line of David, to a father who would be a carpenter, and live a life of a ministry of homelessness. No place to lay his head until he died in the tomb. You see, this sign authenticated who God was and it invited the shepherds to come because this good news, the gospel, was for them and not for high royalty. Now, it's for high royalty too. We'll see that next week. It's for all. But the shepherds needed to hear this. As one scholar said, they said that the shepherds are welcomed at the manger. The unclean were judged to be clean the outcasts of society became honored guests and the song of angels was sung to the simplest of all. This is the good news of Jesus. And this message is for you and for me. So what is our response? I think our response is what the shepherds did here. What did they do after they went and found Jesus? lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. They told what they saw and heard. They went back to the fields rejoicing and praising God for what he had done. And that's what I want to encourage us to do during this Advent season. Some of you this morning, the Lord has been placing on your heart to be able to share this good news, this gospel, to maybe a neighbor or a co-worker or a friend or even a family member. And this is the call for us to go and celebrate and rejoice what God has done. But for others of us, we might not be there. Might I suggest this day, whether it's to go share the good news in the opportune time. Maybe for some of us, what we need to do is just celebrate like the shepherds. What would it look like this Advent season if all of us at ResCom invited a coworker, a neighbor, a family friend, somebody in your life who has not received the good news yet, and just celebrated Christmas, invited them over, practiced hospitality to the lowliest of lows, and be able to celebrate the reason for this season of why Jesus came into this world. To have a meal, a dinner, or a lunch, or a Saturday afternoon uh, grill, or maybe after the kids are down, to invite someone over, and to have some drinks, and to enjoy this season 
of why we celebrate Christmas, because Jesus has come into this world lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths. As we have heard this good news, we have the opportunity to rejoice with others this amazing, amazing news of this one that has come into this world. While this sign is, a, is, is for us, we have other signs as well this morning, brothers and sisters. We had the opportunity to witness the sign of baptism, to be able to look back at your own baptism, whether as an infant or in your older age. But we're called to look back at, our, at this sign, at that sacrament, knowing that we are His and He is mine. And no matter what, what failures, what hardships, what breakups, what grief you're experiencing, the Lord wants you to look back at this sign and be reminded that He loves you. That even when the worst is known, He offers you His love. And that's seen here at this other sign, the Lord's table, where His body was given, His blood was shed, so that we might be reminded that He lived this lowly life for you and for me out of the depths of His love, that we can feast with Him, that He rose from the dead victorious and, and dined with us here at the table. This is for you and for me. This beautiful sign and picture of who our Jesus is. Come to the table. Experience his wonder, his love, and his grace. So we might be able to go out and rejoice and celebrate of the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for this amazing good news of Jesus. That he lived this kind of life, born in a manger, nowhere to lay his head, to die and be laid in a tomb, but also to rise from the dead, to conquer death and evil, so that, Lord, we might be able to experience the peace that only you can offer us this morning. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us that grace as we come to the table. Feed us, not only physically, but also spiritually, so that we might be strengthened that we might experience the grace that only comes in Christ. Do that good work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.